0: Growing up, I watched a few movies that I had no business seeing, like the horror movie The Grudge, but I won't get into the details of the PTSD that that movie caused. And on the flip side, there were also movies I watched that became classics in my mind, and not just for the way they were filmed or for the acting, but because I learned something as well. Hey, everybody. My name is Kristen Smith, and I'm filling in for Adam Holtz today, who is taking a much-needed break. As you may have already guessed, we have two segments we're going to tackle today, and the first is about non-Christian movies that have impacted us in positive ways, and in the second segment, we'll talk about a new PG-rated movie called Marcel the Shell. So let's get started. Joining us for our chat today are Jonathan McKee, Kennedy, Unthank, and Paul Lacey. Hi, guys. Good morning. All right. So I have one question to kick us off. I would like you to name one movie that really impacted you in a positive way, and tell me why.
1: Mm. Oh man, I can't wait. Well, I will go first. Okay. All right,
2: all right.
0: I think Jonathan should. Jonathan, you okay. go ahead.
2: Oh no, no. I w- I was so eagerly anticipating Paul's answer. I can't wait until <laughs> <laughs> he just draws f- from that library of movie knowledge. I mean, I just I d- please, really, you want to waste it on me? Come on, we're all waiting for Paul. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's Jonathan true. already. So, I know you have like true. six ready to go. Okay, okay. I I'm gonna go. With an obscure film that maybe um, some haven't seen, but it's one of my favorite films. Uh, It was written by Chaz Palminteri. It was actually Robert De Niro's directorial debut. It's called A Bronx Tale. And it's a story about a young kid growing up on a stoop of the Bronx um, and kind of learning about life choices. And um, he can either follow the mentor of his father, who is kind of a good working man, or he can follow the mentor of this kind of mafia guy down the street who everybody thinks is so cool. And he learns all this cool stuff from the mafia guy, good advice about don't waste your time chasing that guy and trying to get that money he owes you and stuff and all, all kinds of surprisingly <laughs> good advice, actually. But at the end, he realizes that one of the pieces of advice that the mafia guy gave him was, you know, uh, don't be a waste of your own talent. And mm. he kind of he kind of at the end of the movie realizes that. Spoiler alert! And it's um, uh, <laughs> just such a good film and uh, really uh, just makes you think and uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, if you can get past all
0: the Bronx language this is so eye-opening yeah. i've never heard of these movies
3: yeah i tell you the bronx tale is a good movie in a lot of respects but yeah it does have a well lot
0: it's of east coast language. yeah yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, yeah exactly, exactly your turn <laughs> okay so you know i did have a lot of movies that i was trying to weigh for this but i think the one that i'm going to go with is the secret life of walter Mitty. Oh, that's such a good uh, movie. Such so a good. good movie, right? You know, it was kind of weird because not a lot of people saw it. I'm glad that you did.
0: Yeah, it's so good. Um,
3: <laughs> it didn't get that much respect on Rotten Tomatoes, but man, it was a beautiful movie. It stars Ben Stiller as sort of this worker bee guy who's dealing mm-hmm. with a lot of change in his career. He works for a magazine, so that's strike one. He <laughs> edits photos for a magazine, <laughs> so that's strike two on the actual film. Um, but it, it essentially has him going off into the world to find this, this what they hope is going to be the final cover shot for the final issue of this magazine. Yeah. Um, and he he's just a guy who just sort of hangs out. It looks like he spends his first 20 years in his career just in this in his workplace, but he's forced to go yeah. on these adventures because of this photo. And um, It turns out to be a beautiful movie, I think, in terms of not only the, the desire to go out and explore and experience new things, but also the real beauty of... Just doing what you do and doing it really well. I think that that was the most beautiful thing as the movie sort of turns around. Walter Mitty comes back from all of his adventures. Um, it, there's sort of a, a salute, and I won't give anything more away, but there's a salute <laughs> to all the work that he did in yeah. his office. And I just, I loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Quick oh, story so about
0: that. I'm going to pull an atom. Is <laughs> I.
3: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So, my husband and I were dating long distance, and I came... it was the first time we'd really ever dated, like in person ish. And he put that movie on, and I was like distracted. I'm like, I haven't seen him in like six months. I don't care about a movie. <laughs> and to this day, he thinks I hate the movie. I'm like, it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. But he doesn't believe me because I wasn't paying attention. Anyway, <laughs> Kennedy, <That's> your turn. <laughs>
1: awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, I was. Jumping between two, but I'll go with the more obscure one. The other one was The Lord of the Rings, by the way. Oh, so good. Of, uh, course. of course. But <laughs> uh, the one I'm going to go with is an obscure indie film called Circle. Oh. Mm. And in this movie, you have 50 people are abducted by a UFO. And they're forced to stand in a circle uh, facing each other. And every two minutes, there's a electric... Cattle prod thing in the middle. Oh my god! That kills one of them. Oh my goodness. And they eventually discover, well, we can vote on who's going to die next. Oh, and no. so they get into this conversation of how are we going to escape? And while we're trying to figure out how to escape, who are we going to kill next? And it, wow. the entire movie turns into a really interesting, like, philosophical debate of what gives someone value, more value over the other person. Mm. Interesting. And, of course there's a lot of death in it there's quite a bit of swearing um, but every single character is kind of like a stereotype mm. you have I mean they don't even have names they're just called the soldier or the pregnant lady or the child or you know and so like you have all these people who are like debating no this person should live no this person should live you know That's and it's interesting. it's actually a, a really interesting movie and it really made me really think about like okay well what gives humanity value
0: hmm Wow, guys! None of mine is not this deep. Like I just feel I asked this question. I should have a better movie. (laughs) So, oops. Um, Mine. Okay. So when I when I came up with this question, the first thing I thought of was high school, and I remember in high school watching Remember the Titans. Mm. I really love that movie to this day, but at the time, like in high school, I was super athletic. Hint the past tense. It's been a a hot minute. (laughs) But (laughs) I loved playing like all these different sports. And that's like the heart of the film, really. It teaches you how to work together, how to overcome differences, how to form a team. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other lessons, too. But that really impacted me as a high schooler. Like, I can do this. I can run that extra mile, even if I don't feel like it. So (laughs) there you go. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Yes. It's so good. Um, So like I said before, we're going to talk about non-Christian movies that have made an impact on us, and more specifically, movies that have challenged or have grown our faith. And Paul wrote a blog on this that you can find on our site. That'll be linked. Um, And if you know Paul at all from just listening (laughs) to our podcast or in person, you know that this is where he shines. Like, he can pull a spiritual theme out of anything. It's very impressive. And I'm mean, really
3: sick. One, of the, one two, of the two. One of the
0: two. So I want to talk a bit more about these movies. Um, Paul, you came up with a few. Could you just tell us a little bit about your blog? You bet. You
3: bet. This is sort of one of those blogs that does sort of hit me where I live, mm-hmm. right? Because I really do like... I watch movies for a living, right? And I think about this stuff. We're all paid to sort of think deeper about movies, yeah. Um, and this is just sort of one of these things that even before I started working for Plugged In was something that I I sort of did on my own. Mm. Um, but for this particular blog, I, I pulled seven movies that I felt really impacted. Uh, they're not made within the Christian filmmaking industry if yeah. you will you know they're not an affirm films they're not made by the Irwin or Kendrick brothers they're just these movies made by secular studios that may have an overt christian message or sometimes it might be just sort of something that that struck me in a funny sort of way so um, the movies i chose and really i could have chosen a lot more but a beautiful day in the neighborhood Gravity, A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick, one of Jonathan's favorite directors. <laughs> Iron Man, uh, Lord of the Rings, which I made as one big old movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right. A, a Quiet movie. Place. That is a good one. And yeah. Silence
3: were the movies that I chose. Hmm. So A
0: Quiet Place really struck me when I saw it because it's a horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's supposed to be a little bit of a horror thriller. Yeah. Yeah, and thriller. I wept at the end. Like he gives wow. his life for his daughter. And I'm like, uh, I was also Spoiler. pregnant. I'm like, <laughs> I know, right? Sorry yeah. if you haven't seen it. I'm like crying watching this horror <laughs> film that's not really horror. I'm like, I wasn't supposed to cry during this. Um, <laughs> but I think it brings up a good question. Like what makes a movie in quotes like Christian versus non-Christian? Because we use these terms a lot. Is this just like the people that create the films? Is it the themes? What do you guys think?
1: Well, I think that uh, for me, I think that a lot of the more popular movies that you see that are secular, uh, actually, intentionally or not, uh, they borrow things from a uh, biblical worldview. Mm. Uh, in particular, if you look at like Lord of the Rings, you see a lot of Christian, um, whether intentional or not, you see a lot of Christian symbolism in there. Yeah, With uh, Aragorn coming back to reclaim the throne, you see Gandalf fighting something that looks like a demon, <laughs> dying and then coming back three days later as Gandalf the White and then you see Frodo carrying this burden that is you know can represent sin and everybody wants it but as soon as they get it it brings them destruction and doom and Lord of the Rings has been hugely popular ever since it came out yeah you know and so I think you look at that and you start to see a lot of those uh those elements where it's like oh this is not a Christian movie Mm mm-hmm but it's got a lot of Christian elements in it, and I believe that's the reason why it's popular. Is because the Christian story is just so captivating.
0: Hmm. What about you, Jonathan?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's interesting when you just see these themes, uh, and I think a lot of people are like, oh wait was this put out by, you know, a Christian company, then it's a Christian movie. And yeah. you see the same in the same in music. We could go down that road of, you know, uh, of Christian versus on. And, and obviously you can even talk about the content. Well, was that content, you know, distracting content or, 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 you know, foul content or whatever. It's amazing how sometimes you have a film with a really good theme but uh, a lot of distracting or imitatable behaviors or that kind of stuff. It is interesting. I love the fact that you brought up Lord of the Rings, Kenny, because I mean, no better example of that age theme that was, you know, probably introduced in, you talk about biblical times. I mean, in Micah, as it talks about, it predicts the coming of the king, the coming of the Messiah. Um, and then Matthew quotes that in early mm-hmm. Matthew, I was in Matthew 2, something like that. And that, Alone, I mean, look throughout literature and film, King Arthur, um, Lord of the Rings comes with the return of the king. We see that theme coming back of the good versus evil. And one thing I think is kind of sad is modern the kind of modern viewpoint that none there is no good, there is no evil. What matters is is what we feel and mm. you determine mm. your own good and evil. That I starts I think that becomes a very dangerous theme and and that's honestly why and we've on this podcast our listeners remember sometimes when we actually talked about scary movies I'll, I'll use the word scary movies rather than horror movies Uh, there's scary movies that really do a good job at talking about good versus evil. Mm. And the Christian director, Scott Derrickson, um, who's made some very scary stuff, like Exorcism of Emily Rose and stuff, really brings that to the forefront in his very scary film. So I I think it's good when we see these themes that depict good versus evil, um, when we see, like you said, Quiet Place, someone giving their life for someone Else, family values, all that kind of stuff. Um, Sometimes it comes in a mixed bag of nuts. We got to admit, you know, you see a film like that, but you hear cussing because that's what you hear in this world. That kind of stuff happens. So Mm -hmm. it's tough to just label something Christian Mm -hmm. or non Christian. Very often there's Christian values in a film where we also see worldly elements.
0: Oh it's good I like that I think
3: that's true, and you can see Christian values and worldly values sort of put right side by side, so right. you need to be careful as you walk through these movies to yeah. sort of be able to walk through those and think through those and all those sort of things. But I did want to to hit on a point that both of you made, right Jonathan, you were talking about good versus evil. Kennedy, you were talking about just sort of the idea of these Christian elements sort of leaking in. I honestly think that both of those are one of the reasons why superhero stories have been so incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. You know, you see this really, really stark uh, delineation between good versus evil. And in a lot of the the superhero movies that we see, in especially, you know, the early stages of the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have these heroes that actually intentionally or no, as you say, Kennedy, Have some Christ like elements, you know, I mentioned Iron Man who has who has little jets on his hands where, you know, Jesus actually, according to medieval paintings, you know, that's where the nails went in. Um, You have Thor who is sent down to uh, the world to save the world by his father. You know, you have all these really kind of interesting elements that have echoes, sometimes problematic echoes, but echoes of the greatest story of all. I think it's
0: really good to note that because I think sometimes we can get caught up. I liked what Jonathan was saying, like... In the same way, like I think presently in 2022, we've done a really good job of labeling something Christian versus non-Christian, but there are so many films that overlap. And just because a movie is by a Christian director and labeled that way as it comes out in the theaters doesn't necessarily mean that it is better than Mm -hmm. something else that has Christian values that sometimes speak far stronger uh, in, in that respect.
1: Yeah, and I think there's also kind of a stigma when it comes to Christian movies yeah. is, and I think that's in part because, you know, there are some Christian movies out there that kind of don't portray the world as accurately as they could have. Mm-hmm. You know, there's somewhere it's like, oh yeah, the Christians are these super righteous people and the atheists all want to murder everyone apparently. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, you know, and I think when people think Christian movies, they think those ones. Yeah. But then they don't think of, you know, I know this is a TV show, but like The Chosen, mm-hmm, where it shows a lot of so good. the flaws of none other than the disciples themselves. Yeah, you know? And you see that and the growth and the building in that.
0: Yeah, that was my actually my next question is, do you think those Christian films portray a false sense of reality?
1: You know, it's interesting.
2: yeah, uh, oh, That's a good. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> 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 um, no, no, it, it is interesting because sometimes if you show a film with complete innocence, no cursing, whatever, and it's like kids are, well, that's funny. I've, you know, I've never been in a world where I've heard no cursing. So it th- that is an interesting one to think about. I think um, the thing I was going to mention is just, I love it when you find these little nuggets of biblical truth or, or great storytelling based on biblical values out of, uh, you know, directors or writers that Um, that aren't necessarily, you know, stamped Christian. And and one example that we've talked about before um, on this podcast and our listeners are probably familiar with me bringing up is M. Night Shyamalan. I I love him as a director and he's one of my favorite films is Signs and has profoundly Christian conversations Mm -hmm. as this pastor struggles with pain in his life and basically turns his back on God. And throughout this tragedy is deciding, do I want to follow God? Do I want to come back? Do I not? But he's got a film M night has a film called wide awake back in the end of the nineties, right, right before the turn of the century. And it's about this little kid in Catholic school who's struggling with death and he's in search for God. And here's this film, it ain't a Christian film, you know, it's, and it, is profoundly Christian. It's this young little guy dealing with bullying and dealing with, you know, uh, tragedy. And he literally, there's a scene where he goes into the priest and he starts asking, you know, is there a God and the priest is struggling and everything. And it's just these real conversations. And it is just phenomenal. You know, it's one of my favorite films. It's this obscure myth thing. And I love it because M. Night is one of those directors who, it you know, wouldn't be labeled a Christian director, but in so many of his films, he brings in these elements where you're asking questions about, is there a God out there mm. through this pain? And I love that. I think it's, uh, it, it makes you think and very often very wholesome values. And not everyone in M. Night films does that, but yeah. a lot of them do. So I think it's fun when you catch somebody who consistently writes about that and you can go back to their stories um, again and again.
3: Yeah, I have so many things that I want to say. I have like five points that I want to make. But, but I first, I, I do want to push back a little bit on the concept that you need to have heavy duty content for a movie to feel realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that, that we have seen enough good movies out there that don't have any content at all that can feel very profound, very moving, and very true to how we live. As an old movie fan, you know, I like a lot of those old black and white movies, a lot of Pixar's catalog shows mm-hmm. that. So I don't think you need to have that. And I don't think that we should we should denigrate people who try to make really good movies mm-hmm. without all that content. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, just to answer your question in terms of, of the Christian movies, um, yeah, sometimes they can feel a little bit false. It's mm-hmm. not because of the content, but I do think it's it's sometimes they can portray people mm-hmm. as two dimensional. Yes. Now that said I think the Christian movies are making improvements movie by movie almost year by year we can see that there's growing depth within some of these stories. I really loved Paul the Apostle of Christ. Really loved Risen. Loved a lot of those a lot of those films that are being made. I, and what you say is absolutely right, Jonathan. I love that, that sometimes these movies can bring so much weight to them. <laughs> I'm going to bring up a movie that really no one should see. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I just reviewed <laughs> a horror movie called The Black Phone. Directed by Scott Derrickson, who's one of the more outspoken Christians. He's not labeled a Christian director. The movie is really, really dark and problematic. And yet, there are these elements where this child prays to Jesus to help... You know, save her brother throughout, mm-hmm. uh, and you see these elements of faith and how faith can help support and and even protect people as time goes on. So I think that that yeah, you know, it's it is fascinating sometimes to see these movies uh, that that have a lot of problems and yet they can be conduits potentially for some interesting conversation and even growth. Yeah, awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks, guys. This has been fun. I really like getting to talk about what makes a film Christian versus non-Christian and get to kind of wade into those like the Christian elements in film that we get to draw out and talk about. So for our second segment today, Paul Acey went and saw Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Okay, this is a PG-rated <laughs> film, and it's a little crazy to me because I remember Marcel the Shell from high school and seeing YouTube videos. So this is interesting because I I honestly didn't know it was made into a movie until... Well, here we are asking this question. So, can here you tell us? <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about this movie? The positives, any concerns? Yeah. So, just to give a little background, uh,
3: Kennedy actually reviewed the channel on which Marcel the Shell was originally on. Does it
0: still exist?
1: Yeah, it does. Wow. He hasn't uh, posted any videos in about three or four years, okay. but it still exists. Wow. All right.
3: And, and there were just three videos, right, of Marcel the Shell back yeah. in the day. Um, the movie takes place, I, I think, like eight years after the final Marcel video was posted. Um, but it, it essentially takes us into the home of this shell. Marcel <laughs> that wears <laughs> shoes, <laughs> and yes. he lives alone in this house. It has become sort of this rental property, so vacationers come and go. Um, it used to be owned by this couple, and there used to be a whole bunch of other shells. Um, all of Marcel's family was there. Uh, but in the heat of a big old argument, all the shells sort of they hid in a sock drawer, And the husband packed up and left and took his socks and apparently all the shells with him. Wow. So his entire family left. He now lives with his Nana Connie, his grandma, and they live this very solitary existence. Marcel walks this piece of lint that he calls Alan just to pretend that it's a dog. He, <laughs> he shakes trees to get the fruit down. Um, but he talks about how these shells, they really, to really thrive, they need a community of at least 20. So he really wants to find his family.
1: Marcel, how long has it been since you've seen your family? I couldn't tell you, but a space in my heart gets bigger and louder every day. Hmm. Dean, do you know how long? That's two years. Two
3: years? Yeah.
1: Oh, that's nice to know.
3: And so this is really the story of there's a documentary maker who stays there, he's going through a divorce, and so he starts making this documentary about Marcel and Nana Connie as they sort of go through their everyday lives and they become sort of impassioned to find the family.
0: That's interesting. I, I like that it's about community, right? Like that would be the overarching theme. Yeah. You need community to
3: survive. It's really fascinating. And, and it has some interesting things to say about social media. And But primarily, it's about grief. Huh. And mm-hmm. moving on and taking chances. There's a lot of depth, surprisingly, in this. I, I wanted to ask Kennedy really quick. Did you, when you were reviewing the channels, were they just cute videos or was there a depth to those original videos?
1: It was kind of weird, actually, because it did seem both ways, as you describe it. Uh, there, there was an element of cuteness, obviously. it's. I mean, I think the concept itself kind of makes people go, oh, that's cute, you know.
3: <laughs> he just has uh, one little googly eye. <laughs> it's great.
1: Yeah. Um, but there are also some of the comments that Marcel would make. He'd be like, huh, you know, that wasn't really funny or cute. It was kind of more like philosophical.
3: Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the vibe for the movie as well, you know. <laughs> um, in the movie, not only are they searching for community, um, and they reach out to social media to see if they can help find the shells. Uh. He realizes, Marcel realizes that his, the people, 32 million people clicked on the first video, right? And some of those come to visit the house. And they make funny little selfie videos of them in front of their house. And, and Marcel turns to Dean, the documentary maker, and he says, this isn't community. This is audience, and I think that there's something kind of profound about how, how social media works like that. And he, he really does say that that you need to have that face to face, shell to shelf shoe to shoe mm-hmm. contact, you know, for it to be real community. Huh. Um, and you have you have uh, you know, Connie is getting older. She's suffered an accident. She might be going through a bit of dementia. And so you have this sense of Marcel wanting to protect. His grandma, while Connie is wanting him to push out to experience new things, to take chances and not spend his time with her, protecting her all the time. It it turns out to be a really pretty beautiful story in a way.
0: Okay, well, in that beautiful story, are there any content concerns that we should be worried about? There are a
3: few. Okay. Um, Marcel does misuse God's name a few times. There can be a little bit of risque jokes. Uh, Marcel also gets carsick and so he does the shell yeah. the shell gets oh perfect. I'm, not, I'm not
2: seeing it forget it then forget
0: it
3: that's it that, that's, that's it. the
2: line I do not cross
3: but, but you know in, in some ways when you're talking about this is a PG movie mm-hmm. and it stays PG and, and I think it actually gets back to our point in the first segment where we were talking about how you can have these really beautiful poignant stories this obviously does not reflect real life you're talking about a talking shell
0: but thank you for that clarification with does, shoes on <laughs> yeah. exactly
3: it does feel very real in terms of the issues that it's engaging and it can it can mm-hmm. move parents even as the kids laugh at it i think it's a really nice movie
0: well thanks paul Now we're going to play some Pop Culture Connection, where our producer, Ashley, asks us questions that we don't have answers to, and we only have 30 seconds to give our response. Then she tallies up the score, and it's survival of the fittest. And it's stressful,
1: for me at least.
0: So go ahead, Ashley. All right. Kennedy,
3: I'm going to have you go first.
1: Yay. (laughs) Yay. That's exactly
2: how
3: I feel, Kennedy.
1: And there was it's like All the right. telling you that you're gonna go
3: first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who wants to get their teeth that's, pulled first? <laughs> that's awesome. It's not that bad. No, I, I love this. All right, this, game. this is one that both Paul and Jonathan are gonna freak out about. Which is better, Batman or Superman, <gasps> and why?
1: Uh, Superman. Ah! And I know Paul disagrees, but here's why. <laughs> First off, he uh, crash lands in Smallville, Kansas, which I'm from Kansas, so that's a bonus. Um, yeah. Second off, though, he is immune to everything except for, for kryptonite, which makes him extremely overpowered. He can <laughs> literally turn back time if he messes up. Uh, he's super nice. He always uses his powers for good. And I mean, what kind, of, what kind of superhero like doesn't move to the city? He stays there for a long time with this farming town community that nice. really needs a superhero.
2: Nice. I forgot to say he has great hair.
1: That's true. So
3: so <laughs> I good. think that whatever, how many ever points he gets, you should subtract 10 for just giving the wrong answer. Oh my <laughs> so?
1: goodness. you
3: think so? <laughs> Seven points, Kennedy. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Oh, man. That was
0: good. That was great. All right. Jonathan, let's have you go next. Oh, man. Ah, uh, you've got this. He knows. <laughs> He knows. Pressure's
1: on. He's like, oh man, I'm going to win again.
3: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Victory. I don't know. See, the
0: pressure,
2: as soon as that's done, that's the one I'm going to get like two.
3: All right. Jonathan. <laughs> yes. Your question is All right. What's the worst film you've ever seen and why did you dislike it?
2: Oh man. There's so <laughs> many of them. Um <sighs> I'm going to absolutely say... See, this is one of those months that's just going to stump me because there's way too many choices. So I'm going to say the worst film I've ever seen is absolutely, without a doubt, no question at all, the worst film I've ever seen. If you take all the films I've ever watched and line
0: them all up,
2: This one would be the one. Oh, I'm out of time. That's a
0: perfect Michael Scott quote. You did well. Indeed. Thank you for that answer.
3: (laughs) Yeah, zero points. Zero points for that. That's a first, Jonathan.
2: That's awesome.
3: But thank you for stalling in such a great way. If this was was
2: golf, I'd be killing it.
3: (laughs) All right, Paul, you're up. There's a oh, Can I answer that last question?
2: No, you can't <laughs> well, unless I can answer your question. You can answer question. it, but you don't get points for oh, it. Oh,
3: curses. Here's a good one for you, Paul. What was your favorite book as a kid and Why? Oh, you know what? I'm going to say the last battle, in part because it was the very first book I ever cried while reading. Oh, mm. those horses galloping up, and they were shot by <laughs> all the dwarves. Spoiler alert, it was really terrible. But it had a great message about—it about. about it was probably one of the more spiritual books of the Chronicles of Narnia series. You have these kids who come back, and they're dealing with a really terrible situation where they have to fight uh, these, these evildoers and—
0: Wow,
1: that was a good Most answer. Friend.
0: You talk. Oh no, I think Kennedy's in the lead. Yeah, yeah, so far Kennedy's in the lead, but still
3: it could happen. Six points. Six points. Good I was job. so close, Kennedy. So I close, think I'm in the lead. Did, actually, n- negative ten for the Ryan. <laughs> <that's worse. laughs>
0: All right, Kristen. All right, let's get you a good one here. Anyone would do. <laughs> Just get it over with. All right. <laughs> Which do you prefer, a card game or a board game and why? Probably a board game. I mean, I'm thinking of Settlers right now because there's a lot of strategy involved. Um, to me, it's a little less stressful. No, I'm going to change my answer. Okay, real quick. I'm going to say a card <laughs> game because I'm going to say Dutch Blitz. Wow. Dutch Blitz is super fast-paced. It's very stressful. I enjoy the stress. I'm really good at it, so I like to beat people. Um There's little to no strategy involved with it. You just have to be really quick and use, like amazing eyesight like nice yeah. that was like eight. oh my
3: goodness. she I took half the was... time and
0: got
2: eight halfway through
0: After 12 seconds <laughs> halfway <laughs> through I think you that won that was amazing that you guys I, yes it's the one card game I can dominate most that people that was like at. a
2: horse race where the horse fell and was <laughs> was was kicking with his four legs up and then he got up and he beat Seabiscuit
3: yes
2: Kennedy <laughs> oh,
0: good man. job sorry yes. Kennedy I've never won in my life this at least Oh. Okay. Okay, Congratulations. That's okay. Thanks. That
2: was oh pretty my
3: impressive. Goodness.
2: That was the best I've ever yeah, heard.
3: That will go down in Pop I mean, Culture Connection in the Hall of Fame. She's all, she's all, no,
2: wait, five seconds left. She's all, I like this because it's this, it's fun, it's great, it's Oh, my goodness. Like, Ashley's fingers were smoking as she was trying were. to count. Right.
0: <laughs> well, it must be host luck today, because I've never won one of these. So. Oh, my
2: goodness. That was amazing. Oh, that
0: thank was you, thank you. Well, okay, we would really love to hear from all of you guys about some of your favorite secular movies that have taught you important lessons or have just encouraged your faith and you can do that by emailing us at team at thepluggedinshow.com or by dming us on facebook or instagram and to thank you for being a part of the plugged in family for a gift of any amount we'll send a copy today of jonathan mckee's awesome book called parenting generation screen and if you like our podcast and find it helpful or just generally entertaining subscribe (laughs) and tell your friends thanks for joining us today on another episode of the plugged in show
1: Good parents aren't perfect, and that's okay, but there are ways you can grow every day. Focus on the Family's Seven Traits of Effective Parenting Assessment gives parents an honest look at their unique strengths, plus some areas they could use a little help. Every mom and dad can help raise the next generation of healthy, mature, and responsible children, and this assessment will help get you started. Take the assessment at focusonthefamily.com seven traits. That's focusonthefamily.com slash seven traits.